If I haven't a chance to meet, my name is Joe. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's a joy to be with you. Today, we're starting a new sermon series called Christmas Traditions, and uh, we're going to look at a couple of traditions that uh, many people celebrate, most people celebrate, and we're going to look at three specifically. The first one is Christmas trees and Christmas lights. So uh, how many of you guys have your Christmas tree and lights up already? How many don't? All right. Actually, we might do that today or tomorrow at our house, so I'm excited about that. We're going to look at Christmas trees and Christmas lights today. Uh, next week, we're going to look at the exchanging of presents, which is something a lot of people do around Christmas time. And then in three weeks, we're going to talk about Santa Claus. It's true. Three weeks in church, we're going to talk about Santa Claus. And I'm actually really excited about that message as well as all of these. So today, and with each of these, what we're going to do is we're going to look at kind of where these traditions came from and ultimately ask this question, do they help us in any way understand the real story of Christmas? And if so, how? Like, what, what, what do they help communicate to, like, the actual Christmas story? So today we're going to look at the story of the history of, of uh, Christmas trees and Christmas lights uh, and ask ourselves, what do Christmas lights specifically have to do with the story of Christmas? So one of the first things that Alyssa and I did when we moved to Columbus was buy a pass to the Columbus Zoo. Best purchase we ever made free advertising for them. This message has not been brought to you by the Columbus Zoo. It's just the truth. Uh, so on the Friday after Thanksgiving, we went to go see the wild lights. Has anyone, has anyone gone before? That's the first time I've ever gone to see. And uh, we went a little early while it was still dark. And so we're walking around. And I will say, if you go a little early while it's still light outside, much easier to parking and, and not nearly as big of a crowd. So I remember we were walking through the park. It was just last week. And, and the sun began to set. And the lights on the trees began to, you know, show out. And friends, it was really beautiful. The word we use in this season for things like that is magical. It was magical. Something about it just captured the essence of the holiday. It made me want to sing Christmas songs. It made me want to hang up my stockings. And there's just something special about it because, and it really, kind of, even, even Alyssa, I think, was getting into it. She even was like, ah, this is awesome. And I don't know if you know this about Alyssa, but she's a bit of a Scrooge. I'm not selling her out. This is just the truth. Like, and she'll tell you. Like earlier when she said, how many of you excited that Christmas, you know, excited about Christmas? Her response is like, good, because Christmas is almost here. Like, like, that's why it's okay to be excited about Christmas. So, but she was getting into it as well. And on top of that, I'm not a very touchy-feely guy. I'm just not. It's just not my personality. But this, it was just such a magical moment because the lights hanging on the trees and everything else that, like, me and Alyssa, like, we, I actually put my arm around her as we're walking through the zoo. It was magical. And trees and Christmas lights, it's like they were meant to be together. They're like perfect together. And growing up, lighting the Christmas tree was like its own ceremony. I mean, it represented everything that was good about Christmas. And for me, it involved Christmas cookies and treats as we hung the decorations. It's almost like the light in the greens had its own ceremony. And then when the tree was set up, that's when the countdown to Christmas began. That's when it really started, and it was by the tree that we stored our presents, both the ones I was going to get and eventually be able to open up, which I was especially excited about, but also those that I was giving. And it was by that tree that we heard the Christmas story. On Christmas morning, we would sit by that tree and hear the story of how Jesus was born into this world to bring light and hope. So the Christmas tree was all lit. When the Christmas tree was lit, then I knew Christmas was on its way. And it was, for me, in a lot of ways, the essence of Christmas. They're great together. But... Where did they come from? Have you ever asked that question? You know, why cut down a tree? Have you thought about this? Like, cut down a tree and bring it into your home and then decorate it. It's beautiful, but also, if you think about it, kind of weird. 
and just a little strange. Where did it come from? And what exactly does it have to do with the Christmas story? Well, that's a complicated question, actually. And like most traditions, the answer is found in a lot of stories and a lot of history and a lot of even legends. And each story, each piece of history, each legend has kind of like its own meaning. But I do want to give you a bit of a history of the Christmas tree and Christmas lights this morning. But I didn't want to get anyone bored. So I know some people love history, but the rest of you are thinking, man, I wish I would have slept in today. So I don't want to bore you, and I wanted to condense it, because there's all kinds of history around the Christmas tree and Christmas lights. So I thought I would share the history of the Christmas tree, like many Christmas stories that you might read this season, share it with you as a children's book with pictures and everything. So I made, sort of made, a children's book on the history of the lighting of a Christmas tree. It's sort of a book, it's not a real book, it's just a digital one on the screen, but I'm gonna read it to you. So is that all right if I read you a Christmas story this morning? All right, so this, the, no children's book is complete without the classic children's book uh, reading voice, so I'm gonna to try to do that as best I can. And sort of childlike wonder and awe as I read it. So you're welcome to go, oh, and oh, and oh no, right? I mean, like, you're, I'm inviting you to react to this children's story of the history of the Christmas tree, and uh, you can do that. And also, if you're new with us today, this isn't normal. So here we go. Here's the story of the Christmas tree. Once upon a time, long before Christmas and Christians, people lived in northern Europe and a land that would be known as Germany. Yeah, very good, very good. You can tell I have a one-year-old, huh? Well, every year during winter, Germany got cold and dark. These long nights and dark days were depressing. No one likes sitting in the darkness night after night. So, to warm up their homes, people would light candles and bring in evergreens as a sign of life. Mm -hmm. Now, when Christians made it to Germany, they adopted this tradition for their celebration of Christ's birth. For Jesus' story of being born is also a story of light and life in the midst of a dark, cold world. So by the 17th century, the Germans began to combine these two traditions, not only bringing evergreens into the home, but entire trees and hanging candles on them. By the 19th century, you never read a children's book with so many like, dates, have you? By the 19th century, the German missionaries came to America. They brought this tradition with them, and it soon became an American tradition. This is my favorite part of the story, though. <laughs> but of course, attaching candles to a tree has its challenges. And soon, insurance companies no longer accepted claims from Christmas tree fires. True story, by the way. Which makes sense. <laughs> You're getting like a, a big, big, see how this, there's a lot of information here, so I'm working on some. Well, by the 19th century, friends of Thomas Edison developed the first electric Christmas lights. 
And friends, that's actually a photo of the, uh, of, the, of the tree with the first electric Christmas lights. So there you go, a little piece of history for you. You can walk away, from that, walk away with that and, and feel like you really learned something today. Well, by 1903, Christmas trees and electric lights were starting to spread to every home. And by 1989, the National Lampoon Christmas movie was released, showing just what's possible with Christmas lights. The end. I recently posted on Facebook a question about Christmas traditions. I asked uh, specifically Christians if they celebrate things like Christmas trees or giving gifts or Santa Claus. I kind of want to get people's thoughts. And I got uh, tons of comments, like 30 comments from dozens of people, and the answers were really varied. Some people, and, and there was kind of like two extremes, some people only did Christmas traditions if they could justify them. You know what I mean? Like, some of the answers came like this. Like there's a, we put up a Christmas tree, but we only do it because a Christmas tree, you know, it has triangular shape and that represents the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then other people are like, well, we do a Christmas tree, but it's a triangular shape, so it points to heaven and we share that with our kids. Other people were like, well, the, the tree and the lights really represent that Jesus is the light of the world, which by the way, is what we're gonna talk about in a little bit, how Jesus is the light of the world. But some had very specific meaning, and they celebrated the traditions by teaching those meanings to their kids. But others were on the other end of the extreme. They pushed back on the idea that, that traditions have to be rooted in some sort of meaning, but just rather, why not just enjoy it? So one of my friends who was, uh, uh, didn't hold back on this issue said this, uh, I honestly think that this thread is way too heady and complicated, too adult, too religious, too pretentious, too serious, too cynical, really too ridiculous. And I'm like, hmm, tell me how you really feel. <laughs> she did. She's a wonderful person, by the way. She said, uh, trees, does anyone really care about the first tree? Well, I hope you did, because I spent some time sharing it with you. Does anyone really care about the first tree? I grew up with an aluminum tree with color wheel. Did I worry about what it represented? I think not. In presence, we were poor. Our presents were few and precious. We asked for little. There were no philosophical discussions or explanations. They were just our family and our church. So on the one hand, some people celebrate traditions only if they can explain them and make them spiritual. On the other hand, people are like, who cares? Just enjoy the season. In fact, I was asking my brother about some of the history of Christmas and these traditions, and my brother's kind of an amateur scholar on the historic Christmas, and he's done a lot of research on his own time around the real Santa Claus, and I'll be sharing some of his thoughts. We'll see how much we can work into the sermon. He sent me essays. In fact, on Facebook, I said, hey, John, I tagged him on Facebook. Hey, John, just don't comment. Just send me your essays. And he did, like multiple essays on the history of Christmas. But ultimately, as I was reading through them, he was like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Just make it fun. That's the whole point. Someone else said it like this. He said, we don't always explain the meaning of our lights or the tree. Sometimes tradition is an explanation itself. And I actually think there's something really beautiful about that. In fact, I spent all week studying the origin of Christmas trees and Christmas lights. I did, I spent a lot of time, way too much time. And I shared with you some of those. And to be honest with you, knowing where it came from hasn't made it any more magical for me. And that's the thing with tradition. Knowing what it means doesn't necessarily make it special. I could, for example, I could tell you, I could spend all day telling you about some of the traditions in, in church, traditions in traditional churches like liturgy and why we do certain things a certain way. And some of you, that might make it special. But for most of you, including myself, just knowing what it means doesn't necessarily make it special. 
Traditions feel special not because of what they mean a lot of times, as much as because of who we shared them with and when. Tradition isn't always about understanding something better, it's about feeling something better. It's about this experience, something you live into. And I think about my favorite things about Christmas traditions. I, what I love about them is that they were honest and beautiful. And I thought about this. I think what I loved about them the most was it was the one season in my life where my parents invested the most energy into developing traditions in my family. And so the meaning behind them it wasn't really what made it meaningful. Do you know what I'm saying? It was, it was the fact that my parents were creating something that we could share in together. And so as Christians um, who are celebrating the birth of Christ this season, I think we should develop traditions, good traditions. And they're more about, though, what they mean and, and more about who we're sharing them with. So all the same, I do think there's something specifically beautiful about Christmas trees and Christmas lights. And I think the idea of looking at the Christmas story in light of Christmas lights actually brings in a whole new perspective to the Christmas story. And so, with that in mind, I want to talk a little bit more about the origin of Christmas trees and their lights. Because when Christians adopted this sort of pagan tradition of evergreens and lights, it caught on because it made sense. It helped them feel the Christmas story. And I think even today, when we want to make a big deal about it or not, the idea of light at Christmas does help us understand the real story. It helps us feel the real story. So to do that, I want to look at a number of scripture passages that tie to the Christmas story. If you want, you can follow along on the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app in the events tab, or on the screen, or you can scroll through your traditional Bible. Uh, but I want to start really, I want to start somewhere in the middle, because the birth of Jesus is found at the start of the New Testament. But Scripture is divided into two parts, and those parts are the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament is also known as the Hebrew Bible. So because the Old Testament is by itself um, considered scripture for the Jews. So the Jews don't have an Old Testament. They just have the Bible. It's their Bible. It's the Hebrew Bible. It's the Old Testament. And Christians have taken the Hebrew Bible and said, okay, this is the Old Testament, and now we add to it the New Testament. And that's what conforms our scriptures. So the birth of Christ is at the beginning of the New Testament, but you can't really understand the birth of Christ unless you understand what was going on in the Old Testament. It would be like, it would be exactly like jumping to season two of your favorite show, having never watched season one, right? And you have no idea what's going on. So like a good television show, let me give you the recap. I'm not gonna tell you the whole, you gotta go, go back and watch season one on your own, okay? But just for today, as we jump into the Christmas story, let me give you a bit of a recap. So season one, or the Old Testament, ended when the Hebrew people were longing for deliverance. Now they had been a great nation, they had become divided, but they were great. And then they had been taken over. They had made, been made slaves, and then they were taken into captivity. They had become prisoners of war, and they lived there for generations in, in Babylon and other areas, and then they were sent back to their home to, to uh, restart things, and then they were made captives again by first the Greeks and then the Romans. And during these times of war and of slavery and captivity, they kept holding on. They held on to this hope that God would finally come through for them. I don't know if you've ever been there, just barely holding on that God would finally show up and come through for you. And so they longed specifically for what they called a Messiah or the Christ, the chosen one, the anointed one. And this Christ, this Messiah would come and make all things right. And it was common to consider this Messiah as a light 
entering a dark world. This is how Isaiah 9, 2, Isaiah being in the Old Testament, says it like this. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of darkness, a light has dawned. This very passage in Isaiah was later used in season two of the scriptures in reference to Jesus. That Jesus was this great light, this light dawning in the world, as if someone hung up a string of lights or lit a candle in a dark room. Jesus, the light. Now this theme carries throughout the Christmas story. I'm assuming that many of you know the basic Christmas story. Maybe you've seen the nativity. I've got Mary and Joseph and donkey and the wise men and the shepherds. I mean, maybe you've heard or seen bits and pieces of it. Um, well, right after Jesus was born, there's this other story. It's, part, it's not part of the nativity scene, so you might not be familiar with it, but it's still part of the Christmas story. It's the story of Jesus going to the temple. So Jesus, while Jesus was still a baby, uh, would go to the temple to be circumcised. This is normal for a Jewish child. And you find the story in the, in the collection of Christmas stories in Luke chapter 2. And it's in this story, more than anywhere else in the Christmas story, that you see how Jesus, born on Christmas, would become the light of the world. So while at the temple, we learn of this man by the name of Simon. Now, Simon was very, very old, and he was a priest that worked in the temple. And, and Simon had one wish in his life. His wish was that he would see the Messiah before he died, but he was getting very old, and he wasn't sure he was going to be able to. He, he knew that he would die soon, but he wanted more than anything else to see the Messiah, just to see the Messiah, not even to see what the Messiah was going to do, just see the Messiah, the chosen one, before he died. That's all he wanted. And so he says in Luke 2, verse 26, this. It says, It had been revealed to him, Simon, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So one day, the Holy Spirit led him to the temple, which implies that he wasn't scheduled to work that day, but he just felt like he was supposed to go. So he shows up to the temple the same day that Jesus, along with probably a number of other babies, would be presented to be blessed, circumcised, consecrated, etc. And so the priest is blessing child, one, maybe one child after another. And finally, they brought to Simon Jesus. Now think about this. The shepherds visited Jesus. The wise men visited Jesus, but Simon was visited by Jesus. You can imagine how he felt, considering this was his one wish in life. And here's how it happens. Simon took him in his arms and praised God. I can only imagine he lifted him up like Lion King, you know? Like, oh, you know, like, I imagine that's what we do with babies. And he says this, he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your, your servant in peace. But in other words, like, I can die happy. That's what he said. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which have been prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. He's like, I've seen it. I've held it, your salvation that will literally change the world. I've, I've gotten to hold your promise right here. Jesus, this is what I've been waiting for. And then he says something significant. This Messiah would be a light, a Christmas light to the Gentiles. Now, as a Jew, this meant, he meant something by Gentile. Gentile was the word for everyone else. So if you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. So this is what he's saying. This child would be a light and this light would spread through the entire world, well beyond the little nation of Israel. That this light would reach every person to all corners of the world. And then Simon, he gives Jesus back to his parents. 
and he leans in and he says something to Mary. Before I tell you what he said, can I just, I'm gonna pause for a second. This is my least favorite part of the passage. In fact, when I started this sermon series on Christmas traditions, this was honestly my thought. My thought was, I tend to preach really convicting passages. Convicting to me, I have no idea if they're convicting you, but they're convicting to me. And I was like, we'll do a series this Christmas on Christmas traditions, because that will be really fun and not so very convicting. And then I made the mistake of studying scripture. And I had a a very clear intention on where I was headed when I was going to talk about how Jesus was the light of the world. But then I made the mistake of studying scripture. And I read this passage. And this is what Simon says. He hands the baby back to to Mary. And then he leans in and he says this to Mary. He whispers it almost. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. This baby is gonna cause, he's like, this is so interesting because he's like, I'm so excited to see the Messiah and once he holds the Messiah, the weight of that hits him and he's like, hey Mary, by the way, this baby's gonna cause a lot of problems. In fact, I wonder if, if he wasn't glad that maybe he would die before Jesus began his ministry 30 years later because he's like, I don't want to see what Jesus is going to do. Here's what's going on here. The light is going to shine. And here is the problem with light. Light reveals what is hidden. And sometimes there are things that are hidden that we want to find, like lost keys, which seems to happen to me often. And then a light is very useful. But there are other things that are hidden that we would prefer just to remain hidden. And Jesus was coming as a light and would eventually bring real problems for many people because his light reveals what darkness hides. And honestly, when you really think about that, that's pretty convicting. Over the last couple of months, one report after another is coming out in the media revealing the sexual misconduct of people in power. I mean, report after report after report, as more women have courage to speak up about what happened to them, what was hidden is becoming revealed. But until it was revealed, it's not like it didn't happen, it just sat in darkness. It hid behind closed doors and secret relationships and private encounters and even protected by people in power. That is what darkness does. It hides things. It keeps the truth buried. Light, on the other hand, reveals what's hidden. And so Simon is saying this. He's saying Jesus would be a light to the world, but that's not going to be as pretty as you think. What that means is that Jesus is going to shine light in the darkness, and all of those things that we thought were hidden are going to be revealed. In the words of Simon, it's going to cause the rising and falling of many. In fact, this is how the book of John puts it. He's talking about Jesus when he says this. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. What does that mean? Well, light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Do you want to know one of the most basic ways to prevent crime in a difficult neighborhood? 
better streetlights. You know why? Because most people who do crime do it at night when darkness can hide them, when they think no one is going to see. I recently had my, uh, my old plaster walls finished by my friend Aaron and Gib, who uh, I think are even here today. So free advertising for them um, if you need some work done in your house. Uh, but here's a panoramic of the picture that I gave them to start with. Oh my gosh, this is, this is a mess, friends. This is, just, this is my house. We've lived here since the spring. Absolute mess. What, what it was was plaster walls that had then had been added some texture, and then that texture had been sanded off and then partially mudded, and there was like paint and mud and texture, and it was, it was a mess. And I like, part of that was my doing, like I was trying to fix the problem, but I don't know what I'm doing. So eventually, after one day of hard work, I decided I'm not going any further. I'm going to hire this out because this is too much. I can't do it. And so when they started a couple of days ago, um, I was really curious how they were going to actually accomplish this. Because from my perspective, it didn't seem like an easy job. And, it, and it, I don't think it was an easy job. But he's shaking his head, no, it wasn't an easy job. But I was curious, like, how do you even go about it? Here's what they did. The first thing they did, he took this big old work light, he plugged it in, and he shone the light on the wall. And then it clicked. I was like, oh, that's, that actually makes a lot of sense. Because part of the problem when you're working on this old plaster wall is like, I can't tell like what's level and what's not and where the dips are and where the cracks are because there's all this paint and mud and it's all layered and I can't, I can't figure it out. So they would shine this bright light showing them where all the nicks and cracks and smooths are. So this is what it looked like when they were, when they were done. Sounds pretty good. Made possible, friends, by light and a lot of hard work. When the Israelites longed for the Messiah, they wanted good things to happen to them. Back in the season one, Old Testament, they, they wanted a ruler who would come and they, who would fight off the Romans and who would give them their land back. And they wanted this political revolution. They wanted a lot of things and they thought that's the kind of light that they would get. They dreamed of a light that would be dawning in the land and they wanted this light to come and fight for them. Instead, they got the Christmas story, which is a story of a little boy born to a poor family, visited by the working class shepherds and foreigners. And this person, by the name of Jesus, this light would eventually grow and begin his ministry, and then he would look the Israelites in the eyes, and he would reveal truth about them. He'd tell the religious rulers how they were exploiting the working class, how they were failing to love their neighbors. He'd look at his disciples, and he would say, love your enemies. Forgive those who wrong you. Give up your places of honor. And don't just serve the poor, but serve like the poor. In other words, pick up the towel and wash someone's feet. He told them not to worry. He told them to love everyone, to not judge people. And each time he spoke, he was bringing light into the world. But that light, for those of us who've fallen short, cuts a little deeper into our darkness. And it reveals just a little bit more about who we are. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, I'm reminded of the fact that I don't always love my enemies. And when he says, forgive those who wrong you, I'm reminded of those that I haven't forgiven. And when he says, get down and wash another person's feet, I'm reminded that I don't want to do that. I'd rather be comfortable and not mess with it. But each time the light cuts through the darkness and shows the nicks and the cracks and the spots that need smoothed out in my life. Friends, we live in a dark world. And in the darkness, we can hide a lot of things. We can pretend that we have it all figured out. 
We can pretend that we're perfect, that we have all the answers, that we haven't done anything wrong. But the truth is, is that we are people walking in darkness. And darkness, while good for covering misdeeds, is no place to live. It's dark and even a little scary and maybe awkward and painful and depressing. It's, we were created for this, friends. We were created to sit in darkness. No matter what it covers up in your life, we weren't created for it. We were meant to live in the light. And so, friends, I have some good news. That even though we walk in darkness, there is a light dawning. Or as it says in John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And with the light comes the knowledge that there are things in our lives that might not be okay. But God doesn't show us those things in order to shame us, to embarrass us, or to scold us. God reveals those things to us so that we might know that God knows all those things already. And so as we live our lives in darkness, all of a sudden we realize that light might expose some things about me that I, I kind of don't want to see. And I realize that, you know what? I, I haven't always loved my neighbors. And I haven't always loved God. And, and I haven't always loved my neighbors by my, as myself because I haven't even always loved myself very much. But friends, the light doesn't just show us that. The light also shows us that no matter what we've done, we're still a child of God that we're still loved by God. So as I stand in the light, I can, I can see that who I am and I can name those things before God because I know that God's not gonna condemn me or throw me away, but that God's gonna heal me and that the light isn't meant to shame us, but is meant to heal us. And so we bear it all before God and say, God, this is, you know this already and yet you still love me. Why do I try to hide it from you? I'm gonna invite the band to come up and we'll start bringing the lights back up. But one of my favorite Christmas carols is the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It puts us in the shoes of the Israelites, those who are waiting for the Messiah to come, for the Messiah to bring the life, that Christ would arrive. They lived in darkness, and they wanted the light to come, and they were hungry for it. And this hymn, it puts us in that place that captures this longing, O come, God, O come, that God would show up in our lives, that God's light would show up in our lives. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing this song together, as we long for and wait for God's light to arrive once again this Christmas.